Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. All right. Let's talk about why we decided to become writers. I'm your prepared host, Jay Garrity, And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week, I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic about a half an hour beforehand because I'm an, because I'm an improviser and good on my feet, <laughs> unless I'm trying to speak. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. All right. Um, Full disclosure, I didn't really prepare for this topic um, because I feel like it's more authentic if it's more off the cuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were just talking about our thesis submissions. We decided we should maybe start recording and why yeah. don't you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, for anybody who isn't sure, um, in our MFA program uh, in creative writing, our thesis uh, for our masters is a novel. Um, it has to be at least 50,000 words. They'll guarantee feedback up to 80,000 words, but after that, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. And um, we are both um, finishing next term. Uh, that term will finish up the end of June. So we're both um, in the same spot. Mm -hmm. And so we're both in thesis two, which is the second out of the three thesis classes in which we have the ability to work on our thesis novels um, with a professor who typically is also a published author. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. We were just talking about um, our most recent submission. Uh, there's checkpoints throughout thesis courses. Yeah. So in the first two, there's a total of four submissions. Yeah. And we're at the point of the the first submission for thesis two. So that would be the third submission Yeah. overall. And um, we were just kind of talking about how that went for us. And um, for me, it was my hardest one because I changed a ton of stuff. Um, I just, if things weren't working with my protagonist, I felt like she was more of a plot device. I had like a three hour discussion with my husband where he just asked me questions that really got me to the heart of things and, and then emailed my professor, like a complete revision of, um, not the whole plot, but a complete revision of my protagonist's inner story, mm -hmm. um, which changes everything. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the um, real story. Yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. Um, but I didn't have time to go back and revise the like 60K words I already had. So I had to just pretend things had changed and start from where I was. Yeah. And that was that was a huge challenge. For yeah. Me. So it, it was interesting. So what I did was I wrote the first fifth. So if I break my break the thesis uh, material down into fifths, I, I wrote the first the fifth. And then I was completely stumped. I like I knew my outline, but I didn't know how I wanted it to feel. I didn't have a lot of the details mm -hmm. down because I, I like to be organized um, with plot and stuff. But, I, you know, 
the stuff that happens isn't really the story. The story is how mm-hmm. that affects your characters, particularly your main characters. Exactly. Um, and so that's what we as human beings find fascinating and interesting. So it's that it's, you know, not what happens, but how our characters feel about what happens that really matters. Mm-hmm. So I was really stumped and I just couldn't, couldn't write and couldn't write. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to write the end of the novel. I'm going to write mm-hmm. the end of the uh, the thesis. And so I wrote the last fifth and I kept getting these notes back. Like, where was, wait, what, what happened? Where is everything? And I was like, oh, I never told my professor. <laughs> That's what I did. So when she and I spoke at the end of last week that we had a conversation about that. So um, much like J. Michael Straczynski, who wrote Babylon 5 and has written a bunch of other stuff. Um, he talks about how when he starts, he knows the beginning and he knows the end. And he kind of figures out the middle as he goes. Mm-hmm. Which I don't yeah. feel is panting. I just don't. No, it's not. It's not. Um, it's hard to connect somewhere when you don't know where it's going. Yeah. It's You, you kind of have to have a direction, yeah. right? And it may not necessarily mean that things don't change as you're writing that middle part but um you do need some kind of a direction you you do need a a destination yeah or else you're just going to be wandering around wherever yeah it and i tell you it helped so much like now i have a much better idea of how to of all the little details that i need to line up in 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 the middle three fifths Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm like oh okay i i've got this when i can actually sit down to write which is what i struggle with which was another part of our earlier conversation yeah yeah the struggle to actually you know have a regular habit of sitting down and writing it doesn't really work for me i can't have like a daily like sit down to write time it it doesn't make a lot of sense for my schedule it's also just not how i work creatively creatively i do a lot better if i have like a couple days where i can sit down for like total of 10 hours over those couple of days Mm -hmm. and and do like a marathon sprint yeah i just work a lot better that way so the author who shall not be named um has talked about that he's like (laughs) um brandon he's like um you know if you sit down and write for an hour every day but it takes you 45 minutes to get into it to get into the flow you're not super productive but if you sit down Mm -hmm. once a week for or twice a week for three and a half hours at a time, you have a lot more time in the flow. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. So that that kind of makes sense to me. So I do yeah. it a little differently. Like I'll I'll crank out my roughs and then when I when I get them uploaded, um, I'll go through it and that's when I do the majority of my writing. So mm-hmm. I just do the really bare bones stuff and then I add in, a, I, I flush in a, a whole Wow, flush in. I flesh out a bunch of details. <laughs> Apparently, I really yeah. do need a nap. <laughs> so we've both had a a rough week. Yeah. We're just both really tired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we wanted to talk a little bit today about you know why we became writers. Yeah. Where that dream started and where that love of reading first came about and and then a love of writing, which usually comes after the love of reading for most people. Um, And then when those two things became 
a real career option and um, something that we decided that we wanted to do. Yeah. So, so do you want to start with your love of reading? Yeah, I, I was going to say, let's pick a, let's take a topic at a time and rotate through them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So where I started um, reading, um, I was reading at like three. So I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't remember learning how to read or anything. Um, and I was writing in kindergarten. Like I wrote a book on how to cook a Thanksgiving turkey. Um, tiny book, four pages mm-hmm. or something. And boy, was I wrong. I was creative. <laughs> I was very creative, but I was wrong. So, um, but so I think I always loved reading from that from that period. But when I got to The Hobbit in first grade, um, that's really when it took off for me. That was when I was mm-hmm. just amazed. I was just enchanted, like how people could tell stories. And so, um, I would visit the school library my grand elementary school library i think pretty much every day after school mm-hmm. or something and i would take books home and i would read um three investigators and chronicles of narnia and the hole in the wall and i mean just all kinds of crazy stuff and I read constantly, um, you know, so everybody knew if, if, uh, if you wanted to get Ludlow, a a, a gift, it, it had really better be a book probably. So, um, mm-hmm. which I just adored. I, I was enchanted with. Books make great gifts. Yeah. I think so anyway. Yeah. If you know the person well enough to, to know what they don't already have in their library. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, my first memory of reading, I don't know exactly how old I was, but it was before I started school. So mm-hmm. before kindergarten. So I would have been less than five. Um, and my, you know, I'd seen my mom teach my brothers to read using those Bob books. And so I picked one up and I just figured it out on my own, reading the whole thing. And I was like, mom, look, I can read the Bob book. And <laughs> She wasn't like super impressed because my siblings were all really smart too. But, um, but yeah, I figured out how to read the Bob book on my own. And um, I don't have any memories of anyone like sitting and teaching me how to read. It just happened um, for me, which was a really different experience with my kids because I did have to, you know, sit down with them for my son, he just needed to know the basics and now, and then he picked it up on his own. And my daughter, like, I really have to, and, and at school, she has to learn how to read. Yeah. And she's picking it up. But um, I grew up thinking that you didn't learn how to read. You just figured it out on your own, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I, my first book ever was a, was one of the Red Bob books. Um, and then in kindergarten, I read... Um, you know, Pippi Longstocking and uh, I loved the Junie B. Jones books and I would read like three of them in a day mm-hmm. um, cause they're, they're small. They're pretty small. Um, and then it wasn't long after that, that I started jumping into books that were, you know, middle school level. And then eventually, you know, by fifth grade reading high school level books. So I skipped like, 
the Magic Treehouse and and the Boxcar Children. I never read those. Me either. Um, while my peers were reading them, because I I went from you know Jeannie B. Jones straight to to middle school fiction. Um, yeah. So I read a lot of big books really quickly. Um, yeah. So family yeah. got me like King Arthur and Swiss Family Robinson and Treasure Island mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And so I was, I had my nose in a lot of those things too. I mean, immediately. Mm-hmm. So there was um, probably from first grade to seventh grade, that seven year period, I've read about a book a day at least. Mm-hmm. And um, in high school, it slowed down, but that was largely because I was reading different kinds of books and, yeah, you know, hanging out with friends and stuff and playing D and D and and things instead. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it there's a whole like um, phenomenon as you get older, you read less, and there's lots of reasons for it, um, which has definitely been true for me after college. I'm just not the same reader that I was before. Yeah. Uh, it's just different when you're an adult. But I used to, you know, I read every single day for hours every day. Mm-hmm. And I would stay up very late. Um, my sister and I shared a room. So I would, you know, after she fell asleep, I would creep out and I would sit in front of the bathroom and turn the bathroom light on and then read on the floor in front of the bathroom. Um till you know 1 2 a.m oh gosh however long (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah yeah and my mom knew um it wasn't exactly sneaky or anything uh but she was the same way even as an adult she would read very late at night so yeah um she got it and it was just something that was kind of accepted at our house like you go to bed but after you go to bed, you can read as much as you want, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I think sense. was a great environment yeah. for encouraging that love of yeah. reading. So when did you start really writing? Uh, about a year and a half ago. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah, at yeah, all. yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I know your story. Um, I know. Yeah, I know your story. Uh, but did you ever like, as a kid, think, wow, it would be cool to be an author someday? Oh yeah. I kept that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Immediately. Immediately. And, Mm -hmm. and I would tell stories and my friends and I would tell stories together and like I was playing, so I read the Hobbit when I was six, I was playing D and D at seven and I was Mm -hmm. a game, I've been a gamer ever since in one form or another. And so, um, there was, there was never a period where I wasn't telling stories to myself mm-hmm yeah I used to like make up stories as I was falling asleep to help me fall asleep yeah um sometimes I would insert myself into to books I had read mm-hmm. and other times I would make up my own stories yep um the first things I ever wrote were poems okay um I I journaled from a very young age I started journaling and that transitioned into poetry. Um, and I didn't start writing or trying to write fiction until, I don't know, maybe middle school mm-hmm. is when I, you know, had the like 10 book ideas all with just like one chapter written in each of them in the little folder on the family computer. <laughs> yep. 
Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty familiar too. Um, yeah, I messed around with a few things, but I never really got serious about it. And to be honest, I think being an author is the one thing that I've consistently wanted to do since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, even when yeah. I, even in the Marine Corps, you know, there were periods where I was like, I should just be a farmer, you know, or, or something along those lines, <laughs> which would be every bit as challenging because it's just as technical. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I just kept kind of eventually coming back to, man, I'd really like to be an author. So a few years ago, I decided it was time to either give up the dream or do it. So I started to just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as a kid, it was that like sort of fantasy, right? Of it would be so cool to be an author, but I never took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I went back to school to finish my degree that I was like, this is something I'm actually serious about and then felt attainable yeah. for the first time. Yeah. I, I think because I really like formal education, I felt most comfortable coming to it through college courses and things like that. So, you know, I, I was taking writing classes at SNHU after I already had my bachelor's. I've had my bachelor's for, I don't know, a few years um, at that point. And, Mm -hmm. um, so they were like, so are you doing a bachelor's program? I'm like, no, I'm just taking these classes. I I really don't need the degree. I have one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So let's get to the heart of, um, the heart of this discussion. (laughs) Why, why writing? What, you know, draws us to it? What is the reason we put ourselves through, um, you know, these, uh, this, this thesis and these submissions and um, the struggle and pulling our hair out because we're yeah. freaking out about a deadline or a story that isn't quite working mm-hmm. or a character that is flat. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we do that? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just because I love telling stories that much. And mm-hmm. this allows me to do it in a way that I can share them with a wider audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the one thing that can be said that's true of every author, um, at least every author that people have connected with their work is that, um, at their core, they're a storyteller, right? It's a, it's about the, you know, the, the story and not story, not talking about plot. Like we kind of mentioned at the beginning, story being that internal journey that you relate to as you're reading. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I just think, I don't know. I mean, there are other things, there are other reasons why, you know, a writer or an author makes more sense than anything else. Not least of Mm -hmm. all the fact that I get bored of doing anything else in about a year and a half. doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm just bored out of my mind. Whereas, Mm I can work on a new project every year and a half. I can work on a new project every six months if I write fast. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely good if you um, have a hard time with being just in one area for too long. Yeah. Um, it it's constantly changing. The industry is constantly changing, and um, genre is constantly changing, and. And you can always switch genres too. And yeah, yeah, it's just, there's never, 
um, there's never not anything, something new that you could explore yeah. or, um, there's never not going to be a new challenge or a way to challenge yourself yeah. and push yourself further. Yeah. And it's funny because people are like, Oh, you know, if you need, if you need some good ideas, let me know. I've got great ideas. And it's like, you know, no author is short good ideas. Like mm -hmm. we don't have enough time and energy to write the ones we have. Yeah. So no, I, I don't, I, I really actually honestly don't need help with that. Although every once in a while I read something online where I'm like, I could do better than that. So mm -hmm. very rarely is there an idea good enough that the idea alone has value. Yeah. Usually, I mean, everyone has ideas, yeah. right? Everyone has good ideas. Yeah. The trick is turning it into something that people yeah. actually connect to yeah. and actually enjoy. Yeah, it's, it is 99% the execution. Um, mm -hmm. Have you heard the story about Jim Butcher with this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so apparently he was on like a, a forum or something a long time ago. And this guy was saying, no, 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 it, you know, writing is all about the idea. That's the only thing that really matters. Everything else is easy, blah, 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 blah. Jim Butcher is like, no, it's about the execution. It's, you know, vast mm -hmm. majority of it's the execution. That's what actually makes it into a story. And the other guy's like, no, 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 you're full of crap. They're going back and forth. And finally, Jim uh, is like, okay, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to give me two terrible ideas when put together. Two ideas when I, that I have to put together in a story that you think are the worst ideas ever. And then I'm going to write it into a book and we're going to see which one of us is right. And so the guy is like, fine, Pokemon and the Lost Roman Legion. So he wrote, um, what is it, Shards of Alara or whatever it is. One of his, his, his epic fantasy series based on those two things. And it's a huge success. So hopefully that guy has shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's something that I think a lot of authors talk about, um, if they have, uh, any kind of recognition where someone walks up to them and they say, Hey, I have this idea. Like, do you want to buy my idea? Or, um, can you like take my idea and turn it into a book? And it's just like, no. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no. <laughs> there's, um, yeah. there's a web comic that I have absolutely <laughs> adored in the past, like, gosh, 10 years ago or something, I, I was first reading it. And um, it's just such an incredible premise. And the guy has restarted the webcomic three times. And the last time he did like four or five panels in like 2018. And I'm like, I want the rest of the story. And I'm like, I can't mm -hmm. in really in good conscience, write it. Like I want to, mm -hmm. I would love to, I think it, it, it's right up my wheelhouse. It's exactly what I want to do. But no, no, I think it would be a really bad idea for me to to take his story and run with it because that just seems really skeezy. Mm -hmm. But man, like finish it, just finish it. <laughs> yeah, I I can relate to that. <laughs> but the business of web comics is brutal. Like if you're not making money, I bet you know in in other avenues like merchandising and stuff is really where most of them make their money. So. Mm. Mm -hmm. it's that makes sense you know it, it used to be you could make some ad revenue and stuff but now apparently it's just and it's been like that it's been really kind of losing it for probably seven eight eight years now at least mm -hmm. yeah 
I mean, it, social media probably has something to do with that because it's so easy to just share everything across. And I see a lot of web comics that are pulled from the original source and put in like an article, one of those, yeah. you know, dumb art, yeah. fluff articles. And that's what gets circulated. Yeah. So I can see why ads aren't effective anymore yeah. for that. It's it's really pretty rough. Now, there are people who are kind of making it on Instagram. Um, you know, I can think of like two off the top of my head, but I think they have very different business models. One of them is a dollar a month per person on Patreon, and he's making mm -hmm. eight, nine, $10,000 a month or something. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, the other guy um, I think is really... I think maybe there's a Patreon or something, but he doesn't really push it. Mm -hmm. But there's, um, he's doing more merchandising stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then now that I think about it, there's like two or three other web comics who are kind of doing the same thing. And they're just, you know, in mm -hmm. some cases they're passion projects. In other cases they're, okay, you know, this is a long-term investment of my time because I'm going to be able to do mm -hmm. merchandising or build a Patreon or something like that. Right, right. Um, so I want to share a little bit about an assignment I had recently for, um, a class called the business of writing, which uh, has, <laughs> it's, nothing, it's a funny class. has nothing to do with the business of writing. <laughs> it's about freelancing yeah. is what it's yeah. about. Um, and it's like the dreaded course of the entire program. Everyone complains about it. Um, <laughs> including Ludlow. It's awful. I yeah, hated it. It's a rough class if you're not invested in freelancing. Um, it, very useful if that is the direction you want to go in. But it shouldn't be um, called. But if freelancing's... Yeah, it shouldn't be called the I business know. of writing. It should be called freelancing or freelancing for a living. Freelancing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, we have our own opinions about the fact that it's a requirement for everyone rather than having like a freelancing you know, concentration where you take that class. But um, SNHU's MFA program is fairly new. And so they're still building and growing. Um, but anyway, I'm taking this class. And um, one of the first things we were asked to do is go to the career center and explore it and um we all took this like quiz or whatever where you answer questions it's one of those aptitude test things where it tells you what kind of jobs you would be in and um mine was like all social services and psychology and neurology and law and all of these things and like at the very bottom of the first page there was finally one job about writing but it wasn't even the kind of it was like a um, grant writing kind of thing or business writing. <laughs> I was just like, no. Oh. Uh, but then I had a classmate who had very similar results and um, she was like, you know, clearly there's a psychology thing going on here. And I sort of connected like, okay, actually that makes a lot of sense. Um, as a writer, I think a big draw for me um, and why I like to write is because I am interested in how people think mm -hmm. and why they do the things they do and digging into the human experience and the human condition. And I enjoy that. And that is, those are the elements that turn 
an idea into a story? Is this, you know, getting inside someone's head? Um, and I really enjoy that. That's my favorite part of, of writing. Like, plot, I don't really care about as much, which is part of why um, I've struggled a little bit with my thesis, because it is a more plot-driven um, project. Uh, but for me, like, getting inside a person's head yeah. and and communicating that to an audience is what excites me yeah. and what I really love doing. Yeah. Very similar for me. Um, you know, a lot of what mm -hmm. I, w I was initially going to write like speculative fiction and then do short stories on veterans issues, modern day veterans issues. And finally I realized, wait a minute, I can literally combine all of this. I can write speculative fiction mm -hmm. that deals with, you know, the costs, the human cost of war. Um, yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of my my brothers and sisters in uniform um, come home shattered physically, emotionally, mentally, um, if they mm -hmm. came home alive at all. And so, you know, I, I really want to be able to talk about that. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, there's this kind of idea um, that genre fiction doesn't deal with things that are real or. You know, speculative, speculative fiction specifically doesn't deal with things that are real. Um, and so it's more of an escape. I think, I mean, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but yeah. um, the reality is, is you can't really tell a story without generally looking at the human experience. And regardless of what setting you're in and what kind of magical creatures there might be or what kind of, yeah. you know, technology that doesn't actually exist might, might be there. Um, it's still universal human experiences yeah. that you everyone can relate to. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about mental health and its representation in fiction. And while it's not overtly part of a lot of fiction, it has been more late recently. Um, even if you read like all the way back, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you can still find those things, um, even if they're not overtly presented yeah. as like depression or anxiety or PTSD, you can still see them because that's what humans experience. Yeah. And that is what's realistic. And that is what creates a character that feels real. Someone who has those very human experiences. Yeah. yeah I would agree with that completely. You know, as as I think you've mentioned on this podcast before, you know, um, Frodo is a great example of a form of PTSD. You know, what the ring did to mm -hmm. him really was, you know, and, and um, losing that connection without giving that connection away. It was ripped away from him. So he now has this really bizarre, corruptive PTSD mm -hmm. kind of issue. So, right. Yeah. One of my favorite things about a really well-written story like that is that, you know, there's the layers that you can peel back. So as a, you know, a kid who's like, how old was I when I first read the Lord of the Rings series? Um, 11, maybe 10, mm -hmm. nine or 10 or 11, somewhere around there. Um, it was, you know, end latter end of elementary school. Um, and the time, I mean, I, I loved it and I, I connected with Frodo, but more on this like 
okay, you're the little guy, right? And then you conquer something big. And, um, and then when I was an adult and I was grown and I, I'd experienced multiple traumas by that point and, um, had been diagnosed with PTSD, you know, I would read or, or watch the movies and connect on a completely different level, Mom. um, with the story. And there's that line can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's, I, I believe it's used verbatim from the book in the movie as well, but it's something Frodo says about how um, some wounds are too deep to heal. Mm -hmm. Some scars stay with you. Mm -hmm. um, and that is like just a really beautiful way of describing what PTSD is because PTSD is that, um, that part of you that is still stuck in that trauma moment. And that's the whole idea of what, you know, PTSD is and why yeah. um, those symptoms happen because there's a part of you that still feels in danger. And so I just, the idea that maybe I could ever write something that beautiful, that so succinctly describes a human experience that can be peeled back and have layers to it. And as you grow older and as you gain more life experiences, you you see it and understand it in a different way. That's just like one of the most exciting things to me. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, having somebody give back a, a piece of fiction or somebody, you know, send you a message like, I wasn't really ready to cry, thanks. You know, that's that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's some of my favorite feedback to get is, um, I knew you were about to do this. I was reading it and I was like, nope, don't do this. Don't do this. And then you did it and I cried, but it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love that kind of feedback because it means that I did my job. Yeah, you know? yeah I agree. I, I love that. Um, or when somebody comes mm -hmm. back and is like, you've got to publish this. People need to read it. That's, that's really great mm -hmm. too. I mean, that feels great. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there is a level of, you know, being an entertainer, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think at least the writers that I have met, we all want to put something positive into the world. Yeah. Um, however it is, we choose to do that. Um, and, you know, literature influences culture and is influenced by culture it's a really powerful artifact in every society yeah. stories in general um even before there was written language the the tradition of, of oral storytelling yeah. has been a staple in human society from the very beginning yeah. i mean stories are, are just so important you know they they're used mm -hmm. to teach or to entertain, I think usually more on the teaching side in, in the way, way back, you know, mm -hmm. um, explain how the world worked or how they thought the world would work or, and, you know, how to, how to, you know, lessons on hunting or gathering, or, I mean, mm -hmm. lessons about being a good person or, you know, a good member of the tribe, et cetera. I mean, those, those are all really important to early man. So. You know, it makes a lot of sense that that we still have that. You know, we haven't changed that much in the last 
couple hundred thousand years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to, I can't say too much about this because of um, FERPA, but uh, I, I, I'm a tutor at um, SNHU and one of my students was working on a humanities project and talking about um, that, you know, the topic of the cultures that value storytelling and the oral tradition and the pres preservation of these stories mm -hmm. um, over time. And part of being a writer is recognizing that you're kind of telling the same stories over and over again in different mm -hmm. ways. Um, but there's an importance to preserving these, yeah. you know, human, very human stories. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's value in telling them over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah, definitely. It's so important. I mean, we, you know, it's what five, five plots. They're what, Man versus self, Something man like versus that, yeah. man, man versus nature, man versus God, man versus, oh, I was about to say man versus environment, but that's man versus nature. Yeah, that's man versus nature. Um, self, man. Man versus self, versus man. And then, yeah, I think it's oh. man versus, yeah, the higher power. Yeah. Just, yeah, generally. I'm going to have to look it up. It's going to drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's something along those lines. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's the same concepts over and over. And um, I mean, you can have the most original idea in the world and at its heart, it's nothing new. But every time you present it in a new way and you give it a new environment and a new context, yeah. um, it, it hits differently, yeah. right? And so you could have somebody who's read the man versus self story hundred times, a thousand times, yeah. and they can still find something that feels new and like a brand new experience um, exploring the same exact yeah. issue. Well, I mean, what is it that we say? We're like, okay, you know, avoid cliches, but let's be honest, it's not a cliche if it was really well done. Like you could, you mm -hmm. could write something that ever other people write all the time and do it better. And you're just going to be, it's going to feel like you're completely original. Mm -hmm. So not even like, and, and I'm not like, not even man versus man or, you know, a war or military science fiction or something, but like, it could be like, you know, kingdom defense, epic fantasy sort of thing. And you could do it so much better and just crush it. Yeah, you could tell what's on my mind. That is actually my my thesis, part of my thesis. Huge chunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's been what like uh, four months now yeah. of just working on these projects. Yeah, yeah. very consuming. Um, for my thesis, it 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 started out as a very much a man versus man. Um, and maybe some man versus nature. And I've really had to pull back. Um, and, it, you know, there's still man versus man. There's still man versus nature. But um, I needed a lot more of man versus self. And that was what was missing. Yeah. And I need to incorporate that from the very beginning, yeah. which changes changes everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, in that one, do you have one perspective character? 
No, um, I have many. Okay. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of a um where anyone could potentially okay. be a perspective character, um, but I think it ends up being um there's two main ones, and then I have a subplot from the past that goes through that has uh two main ones and then a third um sub sub one i guess you could say and then um and then when we're in fairy there's two main ones in there as well so oh and then i and then there's the witch coven subplot as well (laughs) which has two main ones (laughs) so there's a lot going on a lot of things happening in different locations and so yeah there's there's a lot of different perspective so i've written it in third person which is it's also the first time i've written something this um scale in third person mm-hmm. my uh my writing is often in first person as um, long as it's not second <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah unless you're writing a choose yeah. your own adventure I mean, I mean i guess but yeah there's i mean you can get kind of experimental with second person, but it becomes very tiresome to read after a couple pages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, multiple perspectives, lots of perspectives. Um, but I mean, everyone else's like internal stuff I was fine with. It was just my protagonist that I was really, really struggling with. Mm. So when you do third person, do you do like a, a tight third person? Like you stick with one person through a scene? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then you get to like um, uh, Dune and, mm-hmm. you know, he wrote omniscient third person in every scene. And so he would give mm-hmm. you everybody's thoughts in every, in every scene. And it was like, this is, this is rough. Like, this is hard to yeah. read. I remember enjoying it. It's probably it. very hard to write too. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember kind of enjoying it when I was a kid and it was okay, you know, coming back to it, but mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of issues there. Apparently he lifted a lot yeah. of that from another writer. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Like right down to a lot of the descriptions and the names of groups and things. Whoa. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah unfortunate yeah but it's something you know to keep in mind is that you know it could happen to any of us any of us not really paying attention mm-hmm. and next thing you know we've half plagiarized somebody else's stuff and not even thinking about it so mm-hmm. you know and then of course somebody else down the road is gonna you know could try to defend us by saying oh it was an homage no <laughs> no <laughs> we mm-hmm. we screwed up <laughs> yeah yeah so true um there is the idea that artists steal, which I do believe in, yeah. but um, that's, you know, you're stealing the craft. You're not stealing the actual product. Yeah. And that's an important distinction. Yeah. You're, you're copying to learn the structure, um, but you're putting your own yeah. ideas into that structure. Well, I, I, yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, just to clarify it for our audience, I would say sometimes by that structure, we mean the story. You know, like we can take the same mm-hmm. story nugget and, you mm-hmm. know, you and I could take the same prompt and come up with entirely different things. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. We could, we could take 
yeah, a general rundown, like a, a, a two-page synopsis and still come up with an, radically different stories. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, like how many zombie stories do we have, right? The same idea of of zombies yeah. um, told over and over again in different ways. Yeah. You know, and, and it's that one's kind of interesting because depending on who writes it, it, it feels very different. You know, Mira Grant, mm-hmm. um, when she wrote Newsflush, I don't remember what, what name she wrote it under, but um, I think it was Mira Grant, now that I think about it. Um, Newsflush, which is a political thriller in the age of zombie survival, was was really, really good. And then there's this guy who's a, uh, a lawyer in Spain, and he wrote a zombie survival, and it was so different from anything an American would write. So it it's really pretty mm-hmm. fascinating. But uh yeah, I think a, a good topic at some point would be um the differences in in storytelling among cultures because the western storytelling um traditions are very different. Yeah. And um there's lots of different things out there that are very cool. Oh, yeah. Um like uh Japanese um story structure is very uh i mean to us it would seem like there's no plot there um but there is it's just a very different way of doing things and um but really enjoyable a lot of miyazaki films use that um japanese plot structure that's very different i I definitely think that would be a great topic and you know in two weeks i'll have completely forgotten about it so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah All right. Well, that is our time for today. We've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams. And Jay Scarity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.